You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your host here, Colt Molesky, fresh off what I thought was going to be a tight loss to the Houston Rockets. Uh, it turns out that would not be the case after a 126-108 loss at home to the Rockets for the Timberwolves, snapping their 13 home game winning streak. Here to talk about it, he was there at the game, Tim Fakeless, the resident NBA editor at zonecoverage.com. He had a, a great article recapping the game, talking about storylines headed out after the game, and then he did a great job editing and putting out Dane Moore's article on Derrick Rose maybe joining the Timberwolves this morning. He's been hard at work, but he was still willing to join the show. Tim, thanks for thanks for jumping on the podcast. You're welcome. Yes, I, I, I'm uh, I'm very tired right now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet uh, that I bet you're tired just from watching the ball go back and forth because there was a ton of action, especially late in the game. Forty-two fourth quarter points from the Houston Rockets. I'm going to actually flip it around. I'm going to start at the the end of the game. I'm going to start the show at the end of the game. The Timberwolves were really close, really hung with the the Rockets. You had 16 first half points from both Towns and Teague. Four-point game headed into the fourth or into the half, excuse me. 54-50 Houston at the half. Really tight game and then there was just a three-point barrage led by Ryan Anderson that fourth quarter that the Timberwolves just could not keep pace with. What did you see from the Timberwolves in that fourth quarter? Were they just kind of they looked exhausted trying to keep up with them the entire game, and that kind of showed? Were they what were what was kind of the attitude? You were there and able to see them going into timeouts and things like that. What was the attitude of the team? Uh, I mean, there's two parts to it. So part of it is I think they actually defended relatively well they they didn't close out as well as Thibodeau would have liked in the fourth quarter and there were definitely some breakdowns in the fourth uh but I think for the most part what happened was the Rockets are just really really good that was kind of the basis of my whole recap and I know that's kind of that's kind of bare but what I mean by that is like the the Wolves are the fourth seed in the West and they're a game out of the third seed in the West, and the Rockets are the two seed. So by that standard, they're not all that far off. But in terms of just overall offense, defense, basketball, the Rockets and the Warriors are kind of on their own level in the Western Conference. They're kind of in their own tier. and It's taken a while to really get set who is where and who's in what tier, but I think it's pretty clear that the Rockets and the Warriors are in the league of their own. And that fourth quarter was kind of an example of that. The Wolves are hanging with them for three quarters, really almost three and a half quarters. And then suddenly the Rockets just bury them with 10 threes in like eight minutes or something like that. And uh, in a two-minute span, the lead goes from four to 16, and the game's out of reach. Yeah, and just for the Timberwolves from a fan base standpoint, it is a little demoralizing to have your team play so well and it doesn't really have a huge impact on the Houston Rockets because they were able to have a double-digit win still because of a massive uh, fourth quarter. 
Uh, jump into the beginning of that game when the Timberwolves were looking really good, 31-23 to after the first quarter. Uh, did you think that there was a, just a slim possibility that they could be a couple points away from a victory in the fourth quarter after that hot start? Or did everything come crashing back to reality when they had the 19 second point quarter? I mean, I, I expected this type of game sort of from the beginning because the, the Wolves are good enough to keep pace with the Rockets, but the Rockets are also good enough where they can just take over at any point. And that's kind of what happened. The second quarter uh, was kind of a bummer, but at the same time, it, it was a result of Tyus Jones missing a bunch of shots. He normally makes Andrew Wiggins was awful from the field, but I think his looks were pretty good for the most part. It was just a rough a uh, rough shooting night. And then Jamal Crawford, I mean, for all his faults, uh, he had a really bad shooting night, but a lot of those shots he normally makes, and he was missing those as well. Uh, if those guys hit even a quarter of the shots that they missed, I think they were third of the game 0 for 17 combined. Uh, that could make a huge difference in the second quarter, and that could change the momentum in the second half. So uh, I wasn't too worried about it, but at the same time, I the Rockets are, are very similar to the Warriors in that they can just pour it on you at any time, and that's what happens. Towns finally over the last few games uh, getting the shots I think we all think that he deserves. A 35-point game from him. And I thought it was a great game because I really, we've talked about this before, I really love Clint Capella. I thought he was an all-star level player this year. And he in Towns looked great against a really good center in Capella. Uh, what did you think of his performance and where does that kind of solidify that he should be one of the focal points of this offense when you're up against a big contender on a primetime game and he puts up more points than Harden? Yeah, I mean, uh, Towns is great. He was great offensively. I do think that, despite what the numbers might suggest, I think that Clint Capella and Nene both had pretty good games in the paint against Towns. I think Towns defended really well, and I saw a Twitter conversation about this earlier today. I think Towns defended pretty well, but uh, there were some breakdowns from other uh, defenders on the Wolves that made Towns have to honestly make up for other people's mistakes which is a weird turnaround considering how this, uh, his season defensively started <laughs> off. But, I mean, Towns was great uh, offensively. He hit a bunch of shots. They needed him to do that. Jeff Teague, who we haven't talked about, had maybe his best scoring night of the year, uh, maybe even his best all-around night of the year. Uh, but those two really made up for the uh, the rough nights that Wiggins and uh, Tyus, uh, the first half at least of Crawford had. And even Jimmy Butler didn't have a – a typical Jimmy Butler game. Taj Gibson was a little off, so uh, Towns' game was vital for them to even have a chance. Uh, ultimately, they got beat by 18, but for them to stay in it as long as they did, uh, Towns and Teague, I think, deserved the most credit. Yeah, especially the way they, they opened up the game. Like I said, 16 points for both those guys in the first half. Uh, Teague looked re- – he was really fun to watch, too, not just because he was getting to – getting to the basket and scoring, but he was also doing it through a lot of traffic and, and weaving through plenty of defenders. He looked very smooth uh, throughout that game and was really fun to watch. Uh, is, there a, is there a way that Teague can play like this? I know you said Andrew Wiggins missed a bunch of shots, but he also usually takes more shots than that. Is there a way that they can get Andrew Wiggins going sooner while getting Teague 
uh, feeling his shot as well early in this game because that might be the difference if they can get Andrew Wiggins to to get hot from this from distance early in this game. I think that might be the difference. No, I mean it's going to depend on the night for Teague because Teague is like in an ideal world probably the fourth option. So he's not always going to have these twenty five point nights. In fact, I would argue it's going to be rare that he has nights where he scores this much. But the way the aggression that he uh, took to scoring in in that game, I think, is what people have been wanting from him. Tom Thibodeau, after the game, suggested he's finally healthy. So uh, just based on that, he made it sound like he's expecting Teague to attack more like this. Uh, We asked Teague about this uh, after the game last night, and he said something along the lines of, yeah, I'm finally getting my legs back under me, and... uh, I'm going to try to be more aggressive like that, but I'm also going to take the game as it comes. So I think Teague is aware that he's the fourth option. And I mean, there's been a lot of Teague criticism this year. Most of it's justified, but uh, high scoring nights like this for me aren't an expectation necessarily for him. It's nice, especially on nights when Wiggins and Butler aren't hitting. Teague is able to come in and do that, uh, but I don't expect him to uh, do this on like a like a nightly occasion, but the the aggression that he played with, I think that's what uh, I'd like to see on a more consistent basis. So you think because of the players on this roster, there's no version of the offense that has Teague putting up about eighteen to twenty points a night? No, I mean not when Wiggins, Towns, and Butler are all healthy. There's no, I I don't envision a scenario. You can't really have four twenty point scores. That's really what it comes down to. He's not going to get the shots for that to happen. Butler's going to get 20 points or close to it. Wiggins is going to put up shots to get him close to 20. And Towns is efficient enough where he's going to get 20 almost every night, too. Teague's the next best option for that. And then there's like Crawford and Gibson are uh, probably behind him. But, no, I don't think 20 points a night should be the expectation. I think an efficient 14, something like that, 14 points a night, I think that's something that we can uh, – try to rely on or at least expect from him but I think efficiency is all we really want from him. he's I think he's in the top six or seven in assists right now so if he can do that and try to play as good a defense as he can it's not a strong suit but uh, that's what we really need from him is open three-point shooting hitting those shots uh, running the offense when he has the ball making quick decisions and trying on defense I think those are the big things for him but 18 to 20 points uh, I wouldn't expect that. We're going to take a quick break from our Rockets Timberwolves conversation before getting uh, back into it. We're going to have a break for our sponsors. After this game, it, it really is apparent that the Rockets are, are with the Warriors in the class of the Western Conference. Rosa, an interesting question. I thought, is this kind of the biggest gap talent gap that we've seen between? Uh, the top two teams in the NBA versus everybody else left. I'm trying to think. I wasn't really around or uh, able to really watch the the Bulls, or uh, but I, I've seen documentaries, YouTube clips, and stuff like that. Uh, so I know that's not the same. But is this kind of the biggest talent gap? You got the Warriors, and then I think the Rockets are pretty close, and then everybody else. I mean, the Timberwolves 
got bounced pretty easily in that fourth quarter by the Rockets, and they're the fourth seed in the NBA, and they're fighting right there. They're right there with San Antonio to be the third seed, so they're very close to being the third team in the Western Conference, and they're nowhere close to being able to hang with the Rockets or the Warriors in a seven-game series, maybe not even in a couple-game series. Is this the biggest gap between those top two seeds and then the rest of the playoff field for the a conference and maybe even in the NBA? Uh, I mean, I that's hard to say. I mean, the the Lakers of the early two thousands were, I think, considered to be a lot better. I know they didn't have the records that uh, the, like the Warriors are probably going to have, but like the Lakers were unbelievably dominant in the early two thousands. The Bulls in the nineties were unbelievably dominant. I mean, if we're going to go way back, we we're talking about this pregame in the media room. The Celtics of the sixties were. They won, what, like 11 straight championships, something ridiculous like that? Yeah, I think it was so, like 11 in, uh, so w- what was it, 18 what was years? The, what was the talent gap for those teams compared? I mean, but it, it, I, I'm not really big on comparing eras. So if, if we're going as recent as maybe Miami with LeBron and Wade, that's the last time that I can think of where I think most people uh, expected a team to just breeze through the playoffs and win the title. Um, but... The, the fact that there are two teams in the West uh, that are as good as they are, uh, just clearly better than even like the Spurs, the Wolves, the, the Thunder, you know, the, the the Nuggets, the Blazers, whatever else have you. Uh, I, I guess I can't remember the last time off the top of my head, but the team. The, I guess the the era that comes to mind for me is the the Kings and the Lakers, and then I guess the Spurs of the uh, of the early two thousand. So. Maybe that's not the best comparison because the Spurs were great too. Uh, so it, I don't know. Comparing errors is tough, but um, yeah, these two teams are really on another level. No, it, it is. Uh, I just throw it out there just because I think one of the one of the themes of this season, particularly with the the rookie class that we had coming in, was how much talent there is in today's NBA and exactly. how. There's there's stars on uh, pretty much every team. You can find at least one player that is really great and really fun to watch, and so it, I I think there's just maybe a little level of uh, more impressive performance out of these two teams because of how many stars there are across the NBA. And I know a lot of people don't like what the Warriors did by adding uh, Durant and maybe a little bit of ring chasing there from them, or at least they're accused of that. But there's so much talent across the NBA that to be able to consistently dominate so many teams season after season uh, is pretty impressive. And what the Rockets and the Warriors are doing right now it is is something exceptional, especially with the talent pool. So I, I don't know. It's definitely something I've been thinking about. Uh, and like you're saying, it's hard to compare errors, but it, these teams are, are very dominant. And when they – slap the the fourth seed in the western conference it's almost the third seed it, it kind of brings that to mind especially sure yeah i mean the, at one point i think people put the calves up on their uh, up on that sort of level at least at the beginning of the season but they've really fallen off boston's a great defensive team san antonio even without Kawhi, are a great defensive team but they don't have that combo of great defense and then just this onslaught of scoring that the Warriors and the Rockets have that's really what does it I mean we all know that the Warriors 
are a great defensive team, but the Rockets are seventh in defensive efficiency this year. I mean, the, the fact that they can pour it on like that uh, is pretty incredible. I mean, the, with the Warriors, you're scoring with kind of your three key shooters, your Curry, your Durant, and your Clay. Those three can bury you. With the Rockets, I mean, Harden and Chris Paul can bury you, but then Ryan Anderson last night buried the Wolves. Uh, on certain nights, Eric Gordon buries, uh, buries a team. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the stars in Houston. They're just, it's an interesting different style, but, it, I mean, it's working. Speaking of uh, Harden, really <laughs> impressive second half from him because he had, what was it, I think it was seven points at half, and then he ended up with the 34 and 13 assists. Uh, was there a difference if you're looking at him from last year? What's the what's the biggest differences in his game uh, from last year this year, if there are any for you? I'm not sure what if there's a huge difference in what he's doing. I think he's just on a better team, and it's easier to uh, like. I think he's the MVP favorite because he's doing a lot of stuff that's similar to what he did last year. But now he has Chris Paul. The team is running a little bit more smoothly. They're they're dominant this year, so it's easier to justify his MVP winning um, if he ends up winning. Last year, I think they were the third seed, if I recall correctly, maybe the two, uh, but they they weren't this sort of dominant force that they are this year. Uh, they weren't put on the same level as Golden State in certain mm-hmm. ways. I think Golden State's still uh, a, sort of in their own class of here above them, but uh, they're they're clearly the two best teams in the Western Conference, and uh, I think that really goes a long way with Harden, especially considering he's their best player, most impactful. Yeah, and you mentioned all the players on that roster that can that can hurt you, uh, but I think the biggest difference, honestly, this year is how well Chris Paul has fit on that team. I did not expect uh, I think very few people expected two players who are so ball dominant to work out so well together but that that kind of marriage has gone better than I think anybody could have anticipated yeah I, I'd like to look I know at the beginning of the year they they talked about how they're going to start the game and finish the game together pretty often but in the middle they're not they weren't expected to play very much together okay, I kind of want to look at their lineup stats I have a feeling that their minutes together isn't as uh, high as people would expect, uh, just because they're so they're both so ball dominant, and uh, they both need they need the ball to do what they do best. Uh, but they're both so good that they need to be out there on the floor together at certain points in the game. But uh, the way Mike D'Antoni has used them, uh, he's used them about as effectively as you can. All right, we're going to get to Tim's special segment, America's favorite segment, uh, Editor's Choice. America's favorite? America's Ooh, favorite. Crap. Yeah, That's no no pressure. pressure. No pressure. I haven't even looked this up yet. Oh, my gosh. But first, I want to, walking away, just for the, the Timberwolves faithful, what is your silver lining coming out of this game? I know they were beat pretty bad, but there's still a team that's 35-25. and 25. Uh, after going 31 wins last season. What's your silver lining heading out of uh, a, a bad loss to Houston? That despite this like 7 of 11 or whatever, they're on a little bit of a skid. I think we can say that. Yeah, it was like uh, and 4 and 7 over the last 11, I believe it is. There it is. So they've lost 7 of their last 11. Uh, they're on a bit of a skid. Uh, they're looking probably at their worst defensively. Um, or at least the worst that they've looked since November, December, early December, stuff like that. Um, 
the silver lining is despite this kid, despite the struggles they're having, they still have a lead that's not substantial, but is a uh, comfortable. There's still some wiggle room between four and five. And if people are panicking, I mean, you just have to look down the standings and, and remember that the wolves <laughs> got like, they did well enough to get to the point where they are now. So if you want to look in the short term, you can, and I think you should, and I think it's important because if they don't get out of it, then they could start thinking. But the good news is the whole body of work proves that they've had a good season, and I think it's evidence that they're going to get out of this rut and eventually finish with a, a pretty good record. I don't know if the three-seed is realistic, especially when Kawhi Leonard gets back and starts doing his thing, but, I mean, if they can get a four- or a five-seed, I think that's a successful season, and, I mean, they're heading into the All-Star break uh, I think locked for the at least the four seed. That's good news. My silver lining is that the All Star break is right around the corner. I'm really buying into that. This is a, a young team that's gone through a lot of growth and a lot of change uh, over the last few months, and they've had some really tough opponents. And they start out really strong uh, at the beginning of January, and it's just been hard to keep the momentum up after they just burned through December. And I think that. They're, the all-star break is going to be really good for them. I'm just buying totally in on the idea that they're going to be able to really reset and re-kind of calibrate during the all-star break and that they're going to jump out after after the all-star break uh, and go on a little bit of a run and have some really good play coming out of the all-star break. I think it's going to be very good for them. And they have the, the Clippers right beforehand, so a, a nice – or not the Clippers, excuse me, the Lakers uh, before – the all-star break and so a nice a nice team that's uh, got a lot of players that they're still developing uh, and not particularly great defense and then they head into the all-star break and I think it's going to really reset this team and help them kind of find a, a little bit of their mojo that they had in December yeah that's fair the only thing I'd say is don't call them young they're like the eighth oldest team in the league <laughs> <laughs> they that's true but the young guys are the ones that they're that they're doing the most with. I think if you Ooh, don't look at Taj, well, three of them. two and a half of them, two and a half of them are young. Guys. <laughs> I, like Tyus doesn't play enough for me to. Uh, like I wish he played a little bit more, but they're not. A, I, I just the young team narrative needs to go. That's all I'm saying. Like, want, I agree with your overall point, actually. But yeah, you know uh, what? That's that's, that's fair. Uh, but it's the, a pet peeve of mine, and I, I apologize for correcting <laughs> you in your podcast. I, I'm not Tony Reale. Uh, but I, that narrative is a small pet peeve of mine. Hey, we're open to all kinds of critiques here at Lockdown Wolves. Uh, that that's a fair point. Uh, so let's just say uh, the the new the fresh look Timberwolves with all the sure. rebuilding they did in the like summer. It. The fresh look Timberwolves, new jerseys and everything uh, need a little bit of a, a rest here at the All Star break. It's going to be a much needed break for them. I'm into that. All right. All righty. I'm glad we can agree. That's all about finding the middle ground here on the show. Dur- totally during here. during it. Not during the production beforehand. During the show, we got to find the middle ground. <laughs> all right. We're going to take one more break because I have a message for the fantasy basketball fans out there. Fantasy sports fans, listen up. Did you know that your chances of winning on draft are 80% better than on salary cap sites? That's why Draft is my favorite fantasy site. No more getting crushed by the pros. And it's not just me. More than 1 million people have already downloaded Draft. Playing real live NBA Draft right now. Be done in under 5 minutes and get paid out the next day. 
Drafts are filling every second, so you can join one whenever you want. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use my promo code LOTWOLVES. That's L-O-T-WOLVES. That's right, playing a real money draft for free just by using my promo code LOTWOLVES. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering the Locked On Wolves podcast listeners a money-back guarantee of up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and play for free right now with the promo code LOTWOLVES. Every single time Tim is on, he gives us the best reads around the NBA whether that be uh, a story on the Timberwolves or a story on the the NBA broad picture. He gives us the two stories to read this week about basketball. Tim, what do you have in Editor's Choice? Uh, so I'm gonna do I'm gonna do some uh, uh, some self promotion and by that I mean zone coverage promotion. I think you should read Dane Moore's article, Derek Rose through Rose Colored Glasses. Uh, it makes me laugh a little bit because I know that Dane doesn't like Derrick Rose. Um, oh, this stresses me out. To, uh, he tries his best to rationalize a Derrick Rose signing because it's probably coming. Um, so I would check that out. If you want to be talked into a Derrick Rose signing or at least give it a go, check it out. It, it's not going to be easy if you're not a Derrick Rose fan, but uh, give it a read. Uh, just give it a shot. And uh, see what you think. And then it for, is for just the, not to interrupt you, but side no, note: go. I could not be more opposed to Derrick Rose coming to the Timberwolves. It, like you said, it probably is going to happen. Uh, that said, even with my disdain, it was a great read. Yeah, no, Dane. Uh, Dane knows how to research and get good stuff on. I was going to say on paper, but it's not paper. Uh, so it's a good piece. The, uh, the NBA piece I have, it's not an, a, a, an article the way that I usually uh, do it here. It's, uh, if, you've, if you've been on The Ringer lately, Shea Serrano, Network, a.k.a. Jason Concepcion, and Micah Peters have been doing these director's commentaries of the best dunk contests of all time, and they're very entertaining. It's, it's these like minute-long videos. Uh, where they watch the dunk contest, you see the dunks as they happen, and they comment on them. And if you're an NBA junkie like me or like you, Colton, uh, you you get really into it because those guys are, I mean, they're smart basketball people, but they're just kind of entertaining to to listen to. So uh, the ringer, uh, director's commentary, you can check any dunk contest. The one they have out today is Dominique versus Jordan. Check that out. I love it. I I would like to throw an article out there as well for people. Uh, I was doing some reading uh, last night and this morning uh, on The Athletic. Markel Fultz significantly altered his jump shot over the summer. That's by Derek Bodner. I thought it was a really good read. Yeah, I I would add another one that, uh, uh, and now I'm just blanking. Oh, Kyle Newbeck, um, the Philadelphia Voice. He wrote a He's been researching that very topic for six months, and he's talked to people within the Fultz, the Markel Fultz community, within the Sixers, uh, medical professionals, the whole nine yards. It's a really long piece, but it's it's. I think it's the most, or, or that or the athletic piece. Actually, that's a really good one too. I've read that. Uh, those are the two most comprehensive pieces on Markel Fultz. So, if you're wondering what the hell's going on with Markel Fultz, check out the Athletic or PhillyVoice.com. 
Yeah, and how could you? I mean, I'm reading all I can on Fultz because how could you not read? This is the most fascinating story around a number one pick one. I think I've ever. I couldn't think of in any sport, like any of the the major sports. I'm thinking about just in the top of my off the top of my head right now. All the number one picks. I can't think of one with a more weird, compelling season and story than the the Fultz saga that has gone on this season. It's bizarre. Like I, oh, there must be something medical that I just don't understand. I need to go back and reread, uh, reread these articles because there's. It's the most bizarre thing watching him shoot. These videos of him shooting. It's it's amazing. He'll airball these little paint jumpers. Yeah. It's, it's it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like if you go watch his Washington highlights, he was a monster. That's exactly absolute monster. That's exactly what I, I I did after I read this article too last night uh, because I. I don't watch a t- I don't have a ton of time for college basketball just uh covering a couple different sports but I do try and watch all I can but I wanted to to dust my up on the the Marco Foltz uh footage of him at Washington so after I read the article I watched him and he he had a nice shot he had a nice shot his free throw wasn't great his free throw shooting wasn't great but he had a nice jumper uh especially when he's creating his shot and he did a lot of creating because they did not have a great team around him at Washington. And from the stuff I've read, it seems like the 76ers are very concerned with making sure people think it's an injury when more signs than not point to the fact that it sounds like he was trying to tweak his shot over the summer and something went horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, I man, I hope he figures it out this summer because – if he can get that shot back going, like he, he could make this draft class look even better than it already is. Uh, it's a good draft class, but Fultz, like Fultz could honestly be the best one if he could figure that shot out, just based on his body of work in college. Since we started out this conversation, before we head out here, he doesn't play this year, does he? Oh man, probably not. They're going to get in the middle of the playoff push and trying to reintegrate a, a point guard. I mean, unless he really figures it out, I mean, to the point where it's like something clicks and he's back to sort of the way of old, no, I, I doubt it. He's got to look like a monster in practice for them to ju- even come close to justifying him taking the court, I would think. Just with the, yeah. not only with what has been going on with his shoulder and with his shot and all the, all the storylines around it, but his confidence can't be in a great place either. No, that's that's the bummer. And like, if you saw the video of JJ Reddick coming to his defense, uh, saying that like the media was uh, like getting on him too much. He's 19 years old. Leave him alone. I feel bad for the guy. Like at some point, I do agree. Like, all right, you've seen Markel Fultz shoot. Like, put your phone down. <laughs> Leave let the guy be. But I mean, it's also a story that Sixers fans are interested in. So it's hard to not try to pay attention to. Well, and again, how could, how could you not how could you not be fascinated by this? I mean, this is the right. this is the craziest story around a number one pick. I I don't know. Uh, that that's it for us here at Locked On Wolves. Tim, thanks for coming on the show yet again. Always good to have you on every week. Yeah, anytime. And thank you to the listeners for checking in on another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves. 
your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.